Ken. Now, you did understand that the meeting that we're having next week is our Sunday school class. Okay. That's not like a joint department meeting. It's just going to be our Sunday school class on the ninth floor. Um, You're going to give a lesson? I will be giving my regular lesson. Up there or down here? Up there. <laughs> regular lesson will be given up there. And then uh, we're just going to have the whole hour up there. Okay? So that's the ninth floor, Spurgeon Harris. There'll be someone at the elevators showing you which direction to turn when you get off the elevator. Uh, also, I want to remind you that Judy Moore is going to be going into the hospital. Uh, when is it, Jack? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay? So let's remember to pray for her as well. Uh, I see two of my students are back, David and Laura. And Laura's behind the pole. She can't see me. So I'm going to embarrass them, and I'm going to have them move over here. Now, you know, that is a cruel thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> but I need to waste some time. because When they come in late, so they wouldn't be introduced. No, they... they, they uh, they came in late because they just wanted to hear me teach. Uh, these are great students, so I'm glad they're here today to hear the lesson. Uh, we are in Luke chapter 11. So take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 11. And I don't know if you were in the 8 o'clock service or not, but the pastor once again has preached out of Luke's gospel. And I'm just waiting for the Sunday when he gets up and preaches out of the same passage that we're going to be studying uh, in Sunday school. I don't know what's going to happen when that when he does that. Uh, he nearly did it today. I can, I can tell you actually quoted verses that I'm going to use today. Uh, and you'll see how it fits together. So anyway, we are in uh, Luke chapter 11. So take your Bibles. And let me remind you that last week, we studied the Lord's Prayer. And that was Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. This week, we're going to continue in verses 5 and go through verse 13. And this is actually a continuation of the Lord's Prayer from last week. I would have loved to have dealt with this last week, but it would have made the lesson just a little too long. And so we're going to pick up in uh, verse 5, but let me, to set the context, let me read for you verses 1 through 4. It says, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, that's Jesus, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like John also taught his disciples. And this was the teaching, rabbis taught their disciples how to pray, so they want to know Jesus' model. And so he said to them, when you pray, you say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now this is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, which is a little different than Matthew's version. Uh, Matthew decides to give you a longer version because he wants to uh, put a different emphasis on it. Luke has a lesser emphasis, okay? different emphasis. Now, we saw in this prayer some special features. First of all, God is referred to as our Father. 
The pastor this morning talked about us having a relationship with God. The relationship that we have with God is to a father. Notice that God is in heaven. By implication, that means that we're God's children and we're on earth. So there's a relationship that takes place between us on earth and God in heaven, and it's a family relationship. And then, after this address, he gives six petitions. And we saw those last week. And those petitions come in the form of commands, where we are actually commanding God to do something. And when a prayer comes in the form of a demand or a command, we saw said that it's an urgent prayer. It's a prayer that comes from the depths of our soul. And so it's God, hallow your name. We want you to sanctify and exalt your name on earth. And God can do that in many ways. And then, second of all, Lord, bring your kingdom on earth. And that means bring your kingdom on earth all around the entire earth. And then not only that, right now, your will be done on earth that is in, is in heaven. We want to see your will done now as well. Uh, Lord, and then fourth, give us this day our daily bread. Meet our needs. Fifth, forgive us of our sins, just like we have forgiven those who sinned against us or indebted to us. And then finally, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, which means protect us. If you wanted to put a title over it, it would be protect us. So this is Jesus' pattern for prayer. Now to demonstrate the dynamic of prayer, or to illustrate it, Jesus goes on and he tells a story. In fact, he tells two stories. He uses two illustrations. And this story that he begins in verse 5 is what we call a hypothetical story. It's a story like, if I said to you, suppose, and I told you, gave you an illustration. It's hypothetical. It's not real, but it's a hypothetical situation. Okay? So look at verse 5. Now he's going to try to illustrate prayer, the importance and the dynamic and the theology of prayer here. He said to them, verse 5, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. So this is the beginning of the first illustration and hypothetical situation. Jesus is saying, imagine this. You have a friend. And you go to that friend's house at midnight and you say, I need three loaves of bread. Yeah, that's the situation. That's the illustration that Jesus is using here. He says, can you imagine that? Now, I want you to notice in verse 5 a couple things. First of all, the borrower is a friend, not a stranger. It's very important. Okay? Notice the nature of the request in verse 5. He wants three loaves of bread at midnight. Now, well, why three loaves of bread at midnight? Because that was the amount of bread that a Jewish family set on the table at every evening meal. Every evening meal, a Jewish family would have one thing on the table for sure, three loaves of bread. So, this guy, your friend, comes and asks you to lend him three loaves of bread, which means that you're going to probably pay him back, okay? So that's the scenario. Does that make sense? Okay, now look at the reason for that request in verse 6. For a friend of mine 
This is the reason why your neighbor comes and asks you for the bread. For a friend of mine has come to me on my journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now notice, we have the word friend there again. You see that? You have friend twice in verse 5, and you have friend once in verse 6. That's the third time the word friend is used. So here's the scenario. Imagine this. You have a friend. And your friend comes to you at midnight and says, I need three loaves of bread. I need a meal. Okay? There's the two friends. Your friend and you're his friend. And he says, the reason I need the three loaves of bread is because a friend of mine from somewhere else. Uh, what does it say about that friend in verse 6? He's come on a journey. He's had a long trip. He may just be stopping overnight at his friend's house on the way to his destination. And uh, he's a friend of mine, and I don't have anything to give him. So we have three friends. Now, the guy who's borrowing is in the middle. Would you agree with that? And he has a friend that's a next-door neighbor, and he has a friend who's far away who's come on a journey. And the one he's borrowing from is expected to give this guy the bread because of this other guy. Now, in Bible times, this is the thing that you have to get in order to understand what's happening here. In Bible times, hospitality was expected. If someone knocked on your door at midnight, you invited them in and you gave them a meal. And if you didn't have anything, you went to your next door neighbor and you said, I need some food. And guess what the next door neighbor, listen, not was expected to do. See, this is the thing that you don't get. Most church members never get. This is what you get when you go to seminary. Okay? Most people don't realize that you weren't just expected to take care of the meal. You were under an obligation to take care of the meal. That's how it was in Bible times. In what was the Roman Jewish culture of that day. This is what was known as the patronage system. We've talked about it a little bit before, and that's just what it was. And the whole community was involved. Everybody always saved a little bit, just in case there was somebody who got in a strait. And everybody in the community many times would just come together. And remember when pastors came to new churches and the community came together and they gave them something called a what? A pounding. Well, that's what it was. The pounding took place all the time in Bible society. So that's the scenario. I've got a friend who stopped by at midnight. I don't want anything to put on his table. Friend, will you give me something for my friend? And you were under an obligation to do it. Okay? Now look at verse 7. And he, that's the neighbor, will answer from within. Now remember, it's midnight. He will answer from within... Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this verse to you the way most pastors would read it to you. Most Bible teachers will read it. I'm going to read it to you the way most commentaries read it. Popular commentaries. Okay? And then I'm going to show you how it's supposed to be read. Okay? So watch. So you've been disturbed at midnight. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me! The door is now shut! 
My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. Now, if I read it that way, what would you think? The neighbor's refusing to help. Right? And that's what the word, I just read the words. I gave you a little tone there, but I didn't even have to give you that tone for you to get that. But there's something about that verse that you need to notice. What do you notice about verse 7? Oh, there's a question mark at the end. Oh, there's a question mark at the end. Verses 5, 6, and 7 make up one question. One question. Listen, listen to how Jesus is teaching this. Jesus says, can you imagine this? Watch. Here's the story. Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. You said, could you imagine that scenario? And the answer is what? No! I can never imagine someone saying, it's midnight, my kids are in bed, the door is locked, I don't feel like getting up. You can never imagine that happening, could you? And the disciples say, not in our wildest dreams would that ever happen. Why not? Because in Roman Jewish society, people were under an obligation no matter what to take care of the needs of their neighbor. Does that make sense to you? This is so important. <laughs> Jesus is telling them a story. He's giving them an illustration that's so outlandish that when he got finished asking the question, they would say, preposterous. Under no, you know, no way. This is unthinkable. I can't imagine that. Because not only was hospitality expected, it was, you were obligated. This is what it means, by the way, to be a friend. This is what it means to be a friend. A friend does things even when it's not convenient. And even if you're not a friend, by the way, if you just lived in the village and one of the neighbors came that you hardly knew and said, I need three loaves, guess what you were obligated to do? Give the three loaves. You said, well, I don't have three loaves. All I have is two. Then guess what you would do? Go to the next door neighbor. Get the other one. The community would join in. That's the story. That's the hypothetical question that Jesus is asking. That's why verse 8, Jesus says, I say, though... He will not rise and give to him because he's a friend, even if he wasn't a friend. Yet, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many, how many? As much as, or as many as he needs. It doesn't even matter if he's not a friend. If you're just part of as Hillary used to say, it takes a village. <laughs> she didn't realize she was quoting <laughs> Luke. But there was a sense in which, in Bible times, community meant, meant a lot more than it does in modern America. Because we're so divided because of 
Uh, we now have transportation that we didn't have before. People live out in the suburbs, and our communities are divided. But in Bible times, communities were very cohesive. And this was considered your social obligation. This is why the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told was so shocking. To think that two religious leaders would walk by somebody who needed help and cross the other side. And yet a despised Samaritan realized his obligation and stopped and helped the man. And remember what his last statement was to the innkeeper. If it costs more to take care of this wounded person, whatever it costs, isn't that what it says here? Into verse 8, as much as he needs, as many as he needs. Now, what is Jesus trying to do? What's the implication that Jesus is making? It's this, if your earthly neighbors respond in this way, regardless of their motives, regardless if they're a friend, regardless if they're a stranger like the Samaritan, if your earthly neighbors, if you can expect that from your earthly neighbors, what can you expect from your heavenly father? You see, Jesus is illustrating the Lord's Prayer that when you make these petitions, you can expect to get answers. Amen. And that's what he's talking about here. Uh, if you can't imagine your human neighbor ignoring you, I couldn't. Im they couldn't imagine this scenario. If you can't imagine a human neighbor ignoring you, how in the world can you imagine that God would ignore your request? <coughs> that's the point. You get it? Look at the application. So, Verse 9, I say to you, ask, and he's talking about God, ask God, and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. Now notice there are three words, knock, seek, and ask, and each one of those words conveys the sense of prayer. Look at that first word in verse 9. Ask. That's what prayer is. Prayer is petitioning God for something. It's ask. These are commands, by the way. Jesus says, therefore, ask God. He just commands them. Just start asking God for stuff. You should expect God to do this. Now, remember, it's all predicated at the end of verse 8 on something called needs. Do you see that? Needs. What about needs? Okay. So, in light of that, God will meet your needs. So, ask God, petition God. Then he uses the next word, seek. Which means seek God's face. That's another word for prayer. <laughs> seek God's face, that's prayer. Ask is prayer. Seek is prayer. And guess what the last one is? Knock. Uh, what did this neighbor come and do? Anybody at home? I need three loaves of bread. Guess what you're to do? Knock at God's door. And you're to continue. This is when the pastor talked earlier. He quoted those same verses only from Matthew. And uh, it talks about continue to knock and continue to uh, seek God's face and continue to ask. And if you ask, it will be given. Notice there's the command and there's a response. See? Ask, seek, and knock. These are synonyms. These are parallel synonyms. 
These are words that all mean the same thing, and they have a rhythmic sense to them. And so, knock, seek, you know, ask. And that threefold exhortation for you to ask and to seek and to knock is followed by a threefold promise. It'll be given, you will find, and it will be open. So that's what we're to do. We're to seek, we're to ask, and we're to knock. Now the reason. Look at verse 10. The reason. For, or because, some people who ask, receive. Is that what it says? <laughs> For everyone who asks, receives. With no exception. See, in that Jewish community, you were under obligation. Someone knocked at your door, you had to answer. There's no... He would get an answer. He would get a positive answer. And likewise with God. There is universal application here. There are no exceptions. Verse 10. Because everyone who asks means God receives. Just like everybody asking his neighbor received in those days. God's no less. And he who seeks finds. And he who knocks, it will be open. Remember, it's based on needs, not carte blanche. Does that make sense? Okay, that's illustration number one, hypothetical story number one. Now he comes to story number two. Look at verse 13, story number two. If you then, notice the if, this is a hypothetical, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, did I skip a verse? I did skip it. I skipped several verses. Okay, verse 11, that's okay. You should fire me. Verse 11, here it is. If, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Now here's the question. Here's illustration number two. Illustration number one, if a friend comes, Will you turn him away? And the answer is no. Illustration number two. If a son comes to a father and asks for, asks for what? Bread. Will he give him a? And the answer is no. Now I want you to notice a couple things here. Notice how this verse right here in verse 11 is linked to the previous story. What did the neighbor request. Bread. Go back to verse 3 in the Lord's Prayer when he said, you pray to God, what should you pray for? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Take care of our needs. That's the first thing I want you to notice. Second thing is I want you to notice story number 1, verses 5 through 8, and story number 2, verses 5 through 9, goes from what we call lesser to greater. Lesser to greater. Now what do I mean by lesser to greater? Story number five talks about a friend. Story number two talks about a father. What's greater, a friend or a father? <laughs> See, notice it goes from lesser to greater. Okay? Both are based on relationships. Friendships are based on relationships. And a son to his earthly father is based on a relationship. So the question in verse 11 is, if a son asks for, from, asks for bread from his father, 
will he give him a stone? And the answer is no. Okay. Or if he ask him for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? The answer is no. Could you imagine such a thing? Hey, Dad, can I have a piece of that uh, salmon? Well, how about this serpent instead? How about this rattlesnake? Let me give you that. And it's alive. You say, that's ridiculous. This is preposterous. That's nonsense. Okay. Look at verse 12. Or if he asks him for an egg, will the father offer him a scorpion? And the answer is no. Now, notice the nature of the request. Bread, eggs, fish. Bread, eggs, and fish. These are good things. These are the basics of life, the staples of life. This is what people ate. This would be, you know, a meal. These would be necessities, okay? Now, the opposite are stones, serpents, and scorpions. Those are bad things. They're good for nothing. They aren't necessities of life. They don't sustain you. Uh, they don't meet your needs. But they do, they're similar in that bread can look like a stone and a stone can look like bread. In fact, Satan says to Jesus in the wilderness, turn these stones into bread. It must have been some sort of stone. And a serpent can look like a fish. There's a similarity there. And one commentator said the scorpions, when they roll up, can even look like little eggs. And so there's a similarity here, but guess what? One is good and one's bad. One meets needs and the other doesn't meet needs. And so here's the son, and the son comes and says, Dad, what's for lunch? What do we have for lunch today? And the dad says, we have three stones, one serpent, and two scorpions. That's what I'm going to give you for lunch today. And you think, well, that's the dumbest thing. That's stupid. That's, that's outlandish. Okay, that's what Jesus wants you to realize. He's giving you two illustrations that are outlandish. No, that would never happen. Okay? So he gives us the bottom line. Look at verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? Now, again, I want you to notice, you're going to go from the lesser to the greater. A friend, an earthly father, and now what kind of father? A heavenly father. See, and he's going to give us the bottom line here. So that's what he's trying to do, is he's giving us the bottom line. God's goodness, notice he gives the Holy Spirit. God's goodness far extends further uh, than that of a friend or an earthly father. The friend will give you three loaves of bread. See? Three loaves of bread. The father will lay out a whole meal. See, you can go to your next door neighbor and they'll loan you a cup of sugar. But your dad will take you out to the restaurant. So I'm supposed to take one of my children out to the restaurant today. Guess who's paying? <laughs> I'm going to be paying. Why? Because I'm the father. Okay? That's, that's a, and I will buy the meal. But God, notice what he provides. Not just bread. Can he provide bread? Yes. Give us this day our daily what? Bread. He can provide bread and he does provide bread. But he provides much more than that. He provides a gift. 
par excellence, he provides the Holy Spirit. Because, you see, in the Lord's Prayer, in verses 2 through 5, he not only meets our physical needs, give us this day our daily bread, and he can do that, but they've also asked for something else. Jesus said, when you pray, ask that God's will be done on earth and is in heaven. Lord, send your kingdom. And on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his Holy Spirit, and he made the kingdom present for the church. And he gives the Holy Spirit to us individually. And we can experience God's will. God's will on earth today is as a result of him sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Who makes sure that God's will gets done through his people on earth. And so God gives us the Holy Spirit that his will can be accomplished. So, he can meet our physical needs, but he also can meet our spiritual needs. It's very important. Now, a couple things to remember here. I want you to remember that Luke writes somewhere around 60 A.D. When he's writing this story, he's writing in 60 A.D. These events happened 30 years before. He's telling you. He's writing these events that are going to be read. He's writing this gospel that's going to be read by church members in 60 A.D. who probably need to be reminded of this. Just like we need to be reminded 2,000 years later of this. <laughs> so he's teaching them a lesson that's supposed to apply to them in 60 AD and apply to us in 2008. But the letter is written specifically to a young man by the name of Theophilus. who's probably a brand new disciple or considering having a relationship with God. And he needs to hear this message right now for his spiritual growth. So this is really important that you always understand who this message is delivered to. Now, when you see this, he is laying out something for us, and that is a relationship that we have with God as a father. He's a father, and by implication, we are his children. He's actually giving us a theology of prayer here. This is Jesus' theology of prayer. Now, let me give you a few lessons that you can get from these verses, okay? Lesson number one. This is lessons I want you to take home with. Number one, with God, it's never midnight. Amen. That's great news. <laughs> uh, he's always available. He's never bothered when we come to him. And our prayer is never taking by surprise. There's never a midnight with God. The God of Israel neither slumbers or sleeps. Okay. Lesson number two. With God, there's no lack of resources. This neighbor might not have had three loaves. <laughs> they have only had two loaves. But with God, there's no lack of resources. He can, he not only gives us this day our daily bread, he can even give us the Holy Spirit that means that we can experience, as the pastor said this morning, part of the kingdom now. We can get some of the kingdom blessings right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he gives us the greatest gift. Number three, lesson number three, God welcomes our request. He not only welcomes our request, he commands that we pray. He commands that we ask him. In fact, look at the last two words of verse 13. New King James says, ask him. <laughs> he welcomes our request. He tells us to make our request. Ask him. 
You have not because you ask not. Pretty simple. One of the important teachings in the scripture. And then the fourth lesson I want us to take home with us today is that we need to reflect God's attitude toward others. We need to reflect God's attitude toward others. If this is how God treats us and we're his children, then this is the way we should be treating others. We should be willing to help others in need. In fact, God often chooses to use, use human means to meet other people's needs. He doesn't always send manna down from heaven supernaturally. Sometimes he chooses, and oftentimes he chooses, to use, use human means to meet human needs. Now, if Jewish society, and I can say Roman society too, not just the Jews back in Jesus' day, at least knew who God was, the Romans who were idolaters, who would have never considered Christianity as an option, They met people's needs, any people's needs, because that's what society said they were to do, and everyone did it. They were doing back then, these lost people, on a daily basis, things that we never do as Christians. Now, if lost people can do this, don't you think God does it? And don't you think we should reflect God's attitude and we should be meeting people's needs and when we do that, we're the ones that are blessed. Next week we'll pick up at verse 14 where he's going to talk again about the Holy Spirit and tell us that we know the kingdom has arrived in some way because he moves with the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And God has given him the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And just